Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 126. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. You know this, right? We're 126 episodes in now. Haven't missed one of them. Um, that's not true. I have missed some, actually. I'm lying. But I'll tell you a man who I'm very happy to be here with, regardless. He's <laughs> very confused by my totally muddled intro I just did. It's Mr. Oh. Stephen Hill. Hello, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, good at last. How, How you doing, mate? Doing? Nice to see you. Uh, nice to see you too. Nice to see you too. Ella's away this week. So me and Stephen, man in the fort. Um, we have got a lot to talk about. We've got a new Gajira song to talk about. We've got a massive download song to talk about. We've got the latest incarnation of the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. We've got a very cool album of the week to go through. All the good shit. Um, but before all that, it is pretty much my duty to remind you that we do have a, uh, an issue of Metal Hammer Magazine out on sale right now. It is a heavy metal bonanza. We have loads of great artists on the cover. I'm talking Rob Flynn from Machine Head, Jason Allen Butler from Fever 333, Christina Scabia from Lacuna Coil, Jamie Morgan from Code Orange, and Lizzie Hell from Hellstorm. Uh, then plus a ton of other of the biggest and best names in rock and metal today, talking about the vital issues affecting our scene right now, and also revealing what a lot of them got up to while the world was in lockdown. It's a good old read. Uh, it's out now across the UK in shops, or you can buy it and get it straight to your door from tinyurl.com slash buy hammer. Uh, so yeah, go buy that. I haven't got that issue yet, by the way, but I have seen it. Can I give a little plug for my Acacia Strain piece that I did? Yes. Good. I'm going to then. Good. Um, yeah, I did interview the Acacia Strain in there. I'm, I, they were a band that I was never that mad on, particularly the Acacia Strain, but the last few things they've done have been fucking brilliant. So, um, and they nearly split up. So if you want to know more about the Acacia Strain, oh, I got the dirt on that. I genuinely do really like the last couple of things they put out. Are you a fan of theirs at all, Mel? You don't strike me as what someone that would be. I'm not a massive fan of theirs, no, but um, I was much more interested to kind of check out their work after hearing, uh, uh, hearing, uh, reading your very excellent feature that you just mentioned. Um, and uh, yeah, like their story is actually a lot more interesting than I anticipated. I think a lot of people wrote them off as just kind of death court also rounds, but there's definitely mm -hmm. a lot more to their story. And um, definitely a band that have got better and better with time as well. So, yeah, I back Steve. That is in the new issue of Metal Hammer as well. Go read that. It's a really good feature. Um, basically seconds before we were due to start recording, Gajira went and dropped a brand new song. Thank How you. How exciting is that? Oh, oh, it's so good, isn't it? It is good. It's called Another World. Uh, we're being told it's a standalone single, which is interesting right. because I, I presume they've been working on a new album at some point in the last four years but um yeah they're calling this a standalone single it's got a really cool space themed video uh and yeah it's good isn't it they're one of those bands that loads of bands sound like now but none of them are as good as them <laughs> yeah that's basically the sort of well we're going to be talking about a pretty good band later on who yep. are massively influenced by gojira and like bless them they're very good but they're not gojira um i wonder if this be this is gojira very very quickly taking heed and taking advice of the Spotify CEO's um, wise <laughs> words of wisdom recently going, you have to keep releasing music. I mean, as much as shit as that guy has got for saying that, I think there's, there's definitely something to be said when you look at the, um, the popularity of the artists that are massively popular in a way that like really big artists drop kind of one-off songs with more regularity rather than an album. 
I don't want to see that turn into in metal. I definitely don't want to see that turn into the kind of a regular occurrence in the, the norm. But to just get a random Gajira song out of nowhere and it'd be fucking great. And it'd be really different from, I mean, it's not exactly a total continuation of Magma, is it? It's not like you wouldn't go, oh, that is that that feels like the natural direction that the band would go in after Magma. Mm. It's um it's way more kind of Magma was quite an earthy album. I think you've described it as being a really kind of emotionally resonant album before, but this feels yeah. really kind of um futuristic and very staccato and uh, a little little touch little tiny touch of my sugar in there as well, I reckon. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I heard that. Yeah, it's it's very kind of driving song. Um, but uh, it's kind of got this like really cool sheen across it that I think, like you said, Steve, kind of, I mean, it's hard to kind of take it in without the video as well, because the video does really create like a kind of rounded experience of the track. Um, cause they're well, I, did, very well I deliberately didn't watch the video because I knew that you would. So I thought we'd have two different, um, oh, interesting. on it. Yeah. The video is really cool. It's really, uh, awesome. I wish I'd remember the name of the, the animator, but a really cool animated kind of computer graphic video. Um, that looks gorgeous and it's kind of painted in all these cool kind of you know it's a bit of a kind of 60s sci-fi vibe around it but um not in enough way like it looks cool mm. uh and yeah it kind of brings out the those little tones in the song um all the more so uh so yeah it, it's a weird one isn't it because they obviously bands aren't able to tour at the moment um you know there's not a whole lot you can do to promote a new single like this so it's pretty much like they've just got together banged out a new single just to give people something nice, I guess. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but like, if there's no album coming off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be a new album eventually, but if it's not on the immediate horizon, then it's quite cool to kind of have that in here. I mean, Slipknot did the same thing, didn't they? Yeah. With, um, uh, oh, the negative. All Out Life. All Out Life, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's funny how you said about what the, the Spotify fella said, because there are definitely more bands doing that now. We just saw Machine Heads release um, like random songs not for the first time either they just put another random song out um uh, within temptation uh told me um uh, sharon told me in an interview recently that they're kind of thinking about moving into that model with more regularity um code so orange. huh code orange do it a lot. Code orange. yep absolutely um so yeah it's definitely a thing and i guess we'll see if uh more bands do it moving forward but yeah because you're back at least for the moment <laughs> There's not many things I like more than Gajira just in the world, really. They're just unquestionably, they've basically become one of those bands where when they release something new, I'm actually almost ready to call out people on my Twitter timeline, not excited about it. Why aren't you excited about this? What's wrong with you? What's your problem? They're fucking, they're so, they're so brilliant. Like they really are. The if best. you had, by the way, if you, if you, if you're listening and you had like me saying code orange on your bingo card or you have to drink <laughs> yeah. orange. sorry that i've done it so early I know. yeah you lasted all of four minutes <laughs> <laughs> code orange yes code orange steve uh, yeah <laughs> so uh go over to the metal hammer website to read a little bit more about the another world single um and yeah fuck yes gajira basically fuck yes we have got a monstrously big download announcement uh, for 2021 it feels pretty fucking great to have a festival actually kind of in the calendar to firmly look forward to with a full lineup again or a very very near full lineup mm. uh, i think they announced over 70 bands um earlier this week pretty pretty crazy stuff 
Um, I'm going to go through. Well, let's start. Let's start with the big thing. Let's start with the big uh, denim and leather-clad elephant in the room. Okay. Uh, Can I just say before we go into that, before we go into moaning, which inevitably we will talk about some negative stuff. Do right. you know what I liked about it? Back in the day when I first started going to festivals, you pick up a mag- you pick up Metal Hammer, and you'd open it, and there'd be the full Ozfest lineup or the full Reading lineup, and there was none of this like teasing and blah blah blah. You just suddenly got a festival lineup, and that's what we've got with download. And I love that shit because really, even the people who are moaning, even they have to admit there's at least twenty bands that they want to watch yeah. straight away. Yeah. I love that game. There you go. There's your full lineup. Enjoy. Um, yeah. That's better, isn't it? I yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a trick that Hellfest have been pulling off with spectacular results for years. They just go, bang, come on then. What have you got? Um, yeah. And Brilliant. yeah, it works a treat. It works. I think Reading still tends to do that as well. I mean, you know, or do they not do that now? Not really. Like Liam Gallagher got announced just as on his own, didn't he? And then it was right, like okay. Rage and Storms and a few people when they did it. But anyway. All right, I fair. Well, yeah, I definitely back you that uh, it's the best way of doing things. And uh, yeah, this is a monstrous announcement. So what, what I meant by the, the denim and leather clad elephant in the room is that obviously now I want to pre kind of include this. And I think this is really important to, out, to point out when I made and rescheduled their Legacy of the Beast tour, they explicitly stated they weren't doing festivals. So we knew that I made them weren't going to play downloads. If you'd been reading like the updates and you kind of been paying attention which some people maybe hadn't and that's fine but you know Iron Maiden had telegraphed very clearly that they are not doing festivals so we knew Iron Maiden weren't going to play festivals so the band we've now got headlining the Saturday night is Biffy Clyro who as we know the last time they got announced uh, caused a little bit of controversy because they are not seen as a particularly heavy rock band now many people don't uh, see them as uh, you know a traditional download band, which is interesting because I think this is going to be the seventh time they played download. Like yeah, they've been less... download, yeah, yeah. So it's like they've been playing it since the kind of inception of it. So they've always been a part of download's DNA. So I've never quite, I, I kind of understand the argument, but I don't think it actually holds up to much scrutiny when you when you really look into it. Um, so you know, a few people have, have commented on this, and as always, the kind of moaners on the internet sound a lot louder than the people who simply look at a lineup online click like on it think that's good and move on uh so it's not probably not fair to say that this is the overwhelming opinion of people but there's definitely a very loud contingent of moaners out there that are kind of not happy that biffy have been booked and steve and i talked about this earlier in the week and the problem you've got if you've booked iron maiden and iron maiden now can't play or won't play is that if you're trying to book something that's like for like you need to book your first option is to book an old school heavy metal band and whether people like it or not the only old school heavy metal bands that could headline download a black sabbath who have split up mm-hmm. and metallica who are the biggest metal band in the world you are not going to get metallica to kind of <laughs> come in <laughs> like guys we've booked maiden but um they can't make it so do you fancy it no like, one, it's not going to Metallica are never going to be anyone's like second choice for anything, are they? Exactly, and I'm pr- and I'm pretty sure, and I don't mean you know if Download could book Maiden and Metallica for one fucking weekend, I'm sure they would. But you know, if you, any year you can get Metallica, you're going to try and get them because they're the biggest band in metal. They're going to be the biggest draw. They're com- they're still off the but they haven't played Download on the Hardwired album cycle. They haven't brought that massive set to Download. Um, they I don't think they've even played Download since 2012. 2012. Yeah. So eight years. So like they are not an easy band to get. 
and you're not going to get them in this context. So what are your other options? You need to look at metal bands. So you've got Slipknot, who are kind of doing their own thing with Knotfest and kind of only played last year. Uh, you've got Ramstein, who again are doing their own thing with the stadium shows. And you've got Avenged Sevenfold, who have played, have headlined twice. And I, I don't know, like that would probably be an all right option, but I'm not convinced it would really be appealing to the exact same demographic anyway. No. Um, so I think what Download have done here is that they basically, instead of just trying to do like for like, they've gone, well, you've, we've got metal all over this festival. I mean, there are so many metal bands playing this festival. It's ridiculous. They're everywhere. Um, so what I think they've done is basically diversify the lineup a bit. And they've booked a band uh, who can kind of automatically just make those three headliners look a lot more varied. You've got the old school rock and roll contingent in Kiss who you know, whether we like it or not, are probably much closer to Iron Maiden in fan base than a lot of other headliners you could book anyway. Yeah. Then you've got this big, uh, more mainstream, polished, um, but hugely successful uh, rock band in Biffy Cairo. They're still a fucking rock band at the very, very least. And then you've got a metal band, like a modern, I mean, I say modern, but you know what I mean, like a modern day <laughs> metal band. Hmm. Um and so I, I get the logic behind that. And I, and I don't think that a kind of a, a main stage run that goes on that Saturday, that goes from Gajira to Deftones into Biffy Clyro, I think that's a fairly natural uh, kind of reverse heavy evolution. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, me too. I mean, Deftones are on tour with Gajira at the moment. Uh, or, they will, or they were going to be on tour with Gajira. And they feel like a pretty good fit. You've got that kind of atmospheric heaviness um the idea that biffy clyro uh, because they get played on radio one are like a pop band or an indie band or something i think is well it's pretty silly isn't it i mean you you obviously don't know anything about biffy clyro i, mm. I can understand how you know somebody might turn around and have heard the sync have heard bubbles and have heard uh, mountains and have heard many of horror and think that's what they are. But I mean, if you just heard nothing else matters, you could say, well, Metallica aren't a metal band. You know, mm. if you just heard um, uh, some Wait and Bleed, you could say Slipknot aren't heavy. If you only know the big songs, then you can kind of say anything about, you know, a band. If, if they're, their biggest songs are going to be the ones that appeal to people in the mainstream the most. If you go back to like, I mean, I was saying to you just before, and I bought, I remember buying Infinity Land by Biffy Cairo in sort of 2004 time. And that album has got stuff on it, which is heavier than anything Kiss will ever put out. Yeah. I mean, I think even the kind of mid periods, like stuff of Biffy's back catalogue is heavier than Kiss. Um, sonically, it's more scabrous than Kiss, definitely. I mean, if you listen to like Jaggy Snake or... Um, well anything from the first couple of records like those those songs that it's weird that like it's actually weird that a band that odd can have got to the point where they can headline download and i think absolutely to their credit i'm sort of drawn on this because on one hand biffy cairo could probably headline any festival in this country bar maybe glastonbury and i think they probably were they to announce as glastonbury headliners i think there'd be less of a shitstorm than there has been for them headlining download um and on the surface, really, you know, Download isn't a metal festival. It's a rock festival. Offspring have headlined it. Feeder have headlined it. Def Leppard have headlined it. 
Kiss are headlining it this year. You know, Aerosmith have headlined it. None of those bands are metal bands. They're not. Um, you know, Lost Prophets are not a metal band and they've headlined it. There are, there are plenty of examples of bands who are not metal bands who have headlined that. And, you know, you have to go, well, it's a rock festival, not a metal festival. But then at the same time, I mean, when you look at the stuff that Download pushes and the way that it kind of, um, the stuff that it puts on the main stage and the stuff that it promotes and the general vibe and outlook of Download, it is going to appeal more, more to metal fans. The type of people that go to Download mm-hmm. are mainstream hard rock and metal fans. Mm-hmm. And they probably don't want to watch Biffy Clyro, really. Like, I think Biffy did... Um, all right numbers like I, I actually I saw a little bit of them in 2017 but I watched Rob Zombie and to be honest you know the crowd for Rob Zombie it was absolutely fucking rammed for Rob Zombie yeah I remember that I watched a bit of Rob Zombie that day as well yeah and I do think that kind of tells you quite a lot about the type of people that go to download this idea that download are going to book Foo Fighters or Green Day or Blink-182 or Fallout Boy or Paramore to headline or, or, or even Bring Me The Horizon I just don't think they are. I just don't think they can. And what that will mean is, is that all these bands who currently aren't big enough as to be download headliners, someone like Within Temptation or Blackstone Cherry or, you know, whoever that gets thrown around, thrown around as download headliners, I think if it carries on the way it is, those bands probably will have to headline. And it will just mean that it won't be 80,000 people going to download. It will be 30,000. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think, I mean, I think, I think Food Fighters can, and I still think Food Fighters, I still think there's a good chance Food Fighters would do download. Um, nah. Steve's shaking his head. I, I, I'll tell you what. I know that they've nearly played a couple of times, I think. Um, I'll like, tell you why I don't think, the, I'll tell you why I don't think they will. I've, I've heard they've cancelled a few times. I'll tell you why I don't think they will. I think, um, Dave Grohl, somebody who likes to play festivals that he has a, a sort of an emotional connection with. That's why they play Reading all the time, even though, you know, Reading is probably not that suitable to the Foo Fighters these days. But he's got a long history with that festival. Uh, the one time he's played Donington, he got stuck on a side stage um, with people staring at the ACDC stage while he was playing with them Crooked Vultures. And by the end, people were like yawning and booing and clapping together. So he probably went to download and went bit shit here isn't it mm. why would i want to come back that's why I, I i think there is a little bit of that that is making dave Grohl go oh not bothered maybe probably not like i hate it but probably just like not bothered absolutely yeah. not bothered by it at all it's an interesting one because rubbish but he like foo fighter foo fighter's green day i don't really count blink because i feel like blink still appealed i think if you're you're watching blink 102 now a lot of that crowd is the same people that was watching blink 102 in like 999 I don't think they've crossed over into a drastically different audience or they've done quite well in kind of shifting their kind of iconography and stuff a little bit. But um, I I definitely put Foos in that same category as Chili Peppers and Green Day in that they used to be our band and now they're not our band. They're the mainstream's band, which is fine. But um, I don't think, I I, I genuinely don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility at all that we could get Foo Fighters at download one day. and And I think it could totally work. I just think, uh, and, and also, when we're talking about Biffy, Foo Fighters are a significantly bigger band than Biffy Clyro. So if you book Foo Fighters, you're going to sell tickets for people that want to see Foo Fighters. There's no doubt about it. So I don't, I don't think those kind of bands are, you know, Chili Peppers, that's probably 
a step too far. But Green Day would make sense. Paramore's an interesting one. I feel like Paramore's more an age thing rather than a demographic thing. Um, uh, yeah, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. I just think you look at those bands and they're all from a sort of similar scene and they're going to look at how My Chemical Romance got bottled off stage. They're going to look at how no one went to see Lost Profits. They're going to look at how nobody watched AFI. Yeah, I, I, but I don't think that but I don't think Billy Joe Armstrong is, is going to know that AFI didn't get a big crowd at download. No, no, no. no. You, know what, you know what I mean. The reputation that the festival has is not for that stuff. And every time you can point at one of those bands playing that festival, it's a kind of, it's a, you know, it's a kind of, it's not like it sends shockwaves through the, the world or anything. You know, like when Metallica played Glastonbury, suddenly everybody knew, oh my God, Metallica playing Glastonbury. And it was a set which, and now a load of metal bands play Glastonbury because it ended up being a kind of successful thing. They were accepted and taken in and it, it worked, it worked really well. There's never been a, a set from one of those bands like that. It didn't really work with Muse. It didn't really work with Biffy Clyro. And admittedly, both of those bands are not on the same scale as Green Day or Foo Fighters. They're not. I'd say Muse, Muse are probably up there. They, they do stadium gigs, don't they? But yeah, yeah, but Muse still didn't, you know, Muse still didn't pull in a particularly massive crowd at download. I mean, I watched a bit of Muse and, you know, when you look at the, you want someone to get, a, you want someone to do the same sort of thing that Slipknot or ACDC or, mm. you know, one of those bands did and, and, and make it like, when you look at, you know, we did a thing on the Hammer website recently where everyone voted for the top 20 moments in download festival history ever. And it was all metal bands. It was Iron Maiden. It was Ramstein. It was Skindred. It was Slipknot. It was Faith No More. It was, it was all of those bands. There was nothing, literally nothing there which was representative of that kind of modern alternative rock thing. Mm. I just don't like, I get it. I get why download feels like it needs to kind of branch out and get those bands, but it should have been doing this in 2004 when it, but when they booked feeder, they should have carried on booking a band like that every single year. And you wouldn't have this problem now. You could have it like, you know, I used to go to Reading and you get one rock day and two indie days. You get Suede and the Charlatans and Metallica. Right. And it was fine. Everyone's all right with that. If Download had done that from the start, I don't think they'd be in this situation now where Blink and Green Day and Food Fighters and Pearl Jam won't touch them. But they won't touch them. But we don't, we don't know um, the specifics of that kind of stuff because we kind of assume that they won't touch them and we can understand why based on the kind of stuff you're saying. But I mean, you know, Blink 182, it's not like they're playing festivals every other summer. They don't come around that often. And so if you've got the decision of, what festival you're going to play. There's a good chance you are going to play Reading because it is the festival you've always played. Mm. Um, you know, Green Day don't come around that often either. So it's kind of a weird one where they're, they're going to have to break out. Like for those bands as well, they are going to have to break out of a kind of comfortable like rotation where every time Green Day come around, they play Reading or they do, or they do a stadium gig. Um, I... I, I <sighs> I, you know, Michael McRoman's just did three stadiums, or we're going to do three stadiums this summer. Um, so eventually, if that all goes to plan and they carry on doing that tour, eventually they'll be back in the conversation for festival headliners. Yeah. And I, I really don't see why they couldn't do download because, as much as, again, you could probably make a better argument for Reading, like download is still more of a rock festival. And I honestly, think they would want to come back to download. They, they might do. Got bottled off. 
They might do. You never know. You just don't know. What no, you guys... don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking. I have a like, point if, to prove. Do you know what I mean? If it was me, right, if it was me and I was, you know, and I was in my chemical romance and they went, you can do two, do two nights of your own show and pick your own bill and do your own thing. Or you can do a festival and you can do Reading where you've headlined before and had a lovely time. Or you can do that place where they bottled you off stage. You go, yeah, probably do the one that, you know, probably do our own show like they did or do Reading. And then, yeah, they're not in the conversation. They might not if, they might not if Download can offer them more money because they make them one of the kind of prestige attraction headliners of that year. Do you know what I mean? There's many, many things that go into these things. Yeah, I, don't think we can, I don't think we can assume that we know what bands are thinking based on our perception of stuff um i so, well, yeah that's true i just think it's a little bit do you know what I mean? it's a bit fishy when you think well pearl jam have never done it and green Day, and, and do you know what i mean when there's always that mm. chat about we're going to bet another rock band in we're going to get another rock band in we're going to get another rock band in and every year you know it just it never happens with the exception of biffy clyro who seem to be like these fucking guinea pig lambs to the slaughter um or muse you know, who did that one year just as sort of something different. And I think it's sort of been forgotten about. I don't know. I just don't know how much download would be on the radar of these bands because it's not, it's just not special to them. I don't think, do you know what I mean? If you're in a pop punk band, like the, 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 the heritage of Donington means fuck all to you. Absolutely. Fuck all. Well, again, I don't know if that's even true because a lot of these bands, uh, you know, like other stuff outside of just listening to pop punk music, um, I'm just looking up how much of the how much these bands have actually played Reading. Pearl Jam haven't played Reading since I saw them at Reading in 2006. Um, yeah, they've given up doing festivals completely. Haven't they quit doing festivals? Well, they when they didn't, when they didn't they, a bit, but not really in mainstream. They don't do it in the UK. They don't do many festivals, and they played Hyde Park a bunch of times. Yeah, I was going to say, weren't they booked for BST? That's a festival next. Yeah, yeah. but that's a one day gig. That's their own one day gig where they can curate the whole bill. Like they've done things. Oh, uh, okay. And oh, uh, Milton Keynes Bowl, so it's kind of their gig rather than I know it's under the I know it's in theory a festival, but it's not really, is it? I mean, again, you look at like uh, Green Day. Um, Green Day did Reading and Leeds. I think they might have done a surprise set one year at Reading, so we won't count that. But uh, they did Reading 2013, 2000, and 2004. So that that like since downloads existed, they've done Reading twice. So it's not like they're coming to Reading every three years. And just constantly billing download off. Do you know what I mean? These these bands are not around all the time. They're not easy to get. Um, and I agree with you. If if download book these bands, they're going to have to do it. If if download can land Green Day, which will be a massive get, then they're going to have to book that day in a way where people that have not been to download before, or that maybe haven't been to download for years, can come back and get a slightly different vibe of it and think yeah i like this and then they'll have to take that forward and keep it going and i and i and i think it's completely possible because the bands are there there's loads of like young punk and pop punk bands and all sorts of kind of stuff like popping up all over the place obviously we don't cover them on here but they're all out there um so i think it's totally doable but it's yeah the biffy one's interesting because they do play download a lot but people still kind of feel like they don't they don't belong even though as you said where they've come from is very much heavy alternative rock music. Um, and I don't think it's that unlikely. Like if you're a Deftones fan, people always assume Deftones fans are like me and you, like we're constantly plugged into music. Um, we know exactly what's going on and blah, 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 blah. And we're kind of on the heavier side of music fandom. 
that's not actually true. Like, there's a lot of people that love Deftones that probably don't listen to a lot of modern heavy music, but were listening to Biffy Clyro in 2005. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. those fans exist. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. I'm really interested to see how that day progresses because what we're probably going to see, realistically, despite what I just said, is a lot of metalheads start to gravitate from away from the main stage after Gajira and have over to the second stage, which has a, quite frankly, astonishing double bill of Mastodon and Killswitch Engage. Yeah. Um, let's go through the whole lineup. I'm going to read this whole lineup up and then we can kind of yeah, go on. sum up any final thoughts on download. So the entire list of download announcements, I just did this on the radio show as well, is A.A. Williams, she's brilliant, obviously, uh, yeah. A Day to Remember, Airborne, Ailstorm, Anchor Lane, Baroness, Biffy Clyro, Blackout Problems, Black Veil Brides, Bleed From Within, Blues Pills, Bacassa, Bush, Celador Moon Crow, that's picking names out of a hat, that is. <laughs> a cemetery Sun, Control the Storm, Creeper, Daltry, Dead Label, Dead Posy, Deftones, Dying, uh, Dirty Honey, Dying Fetus, Electric Wizard, Employed to Serve, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Funeral for a Friend, Gender Rolls, Gajira, Harkin, Hatari, Higher Power, Holding Absence, Hot Milk, Kills with Engage, Kill the Lights, Corn, Jamie Lenman, JJ Wild, Joyous Wolf, Kiss, Lacuna Coil, Loathe, Lotus Eater, Marianas Trench, uh, Mastodon, Modern Era, Miles Kennedy, Obituary, Of Mice and Men, Foxjaw, P.O.D., Poppy, Powell, Press Club, Rise Against, Sepulchre, Skillet, Sleep Token, Spirit Box, Steel Panther, Stone Broken, System of a Down, Temples on Mars, Temps, Theory, oh God, The Darkness, The Distillers, The Fame, The Horror, The Pretty Reckless, The Wild Hearts, Those Damn Crows, Tiny Moving Parts, Twin Temple, Volby, Wage War, Wargasm, Wayward Sons, Will Haven. If oh, nothing else, that's got to be, I mean, literally the biggest download announcement ever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Absolutely bananas. It's funny because when the, down, oh, this is what I mean, like when the download announcement was coming out bit by bit and they do like 20 bands and I'd go, oh, there's like three bands out of those 20 that I'm actually excited about. I mean, it's not that different to the lineup that I was kind of on here bitching and moaning about um, last year. But weirdly, when you get it all at once, there is a load of stuff that I go, well, that's really good. Like for me, the headliners are just massively improved by Biffy Clyro being there because it's something contemporary and it's some, it's a band who are, you know, doing that. What, you know, bands make actually make music and put records out. I don't know if Kiss and System of a Down are aware of that, but bands actually <laughs> put music out and Biffy Clyro are one of those bands who actually make music as opposed to just sort of, you know, rolling out the hits like a bunch That's of... That's actually a really good point. As much as obviously I made in... Uh, have got a slightly better track record with new music yes, in the last 20 years than the other two. Um, Biffy Clyro actually now means there is a band that is going to have a new album out to promote, which wouldn't have been the case with the previous lineup, which is a bit yeah. weird. I mean, I wouldn't ever, you know, I'm not, I, I can't sit here and pretend that I'm a huge fan of anything that, um, that Maiden have put out for the last decade, really. Probably the last thing as I liked was A Matter of Life and Death, but but still, they do, you know, they feel like a band who are continually thinking about just trying to stay relevant. And you absolutely cannot say that about Kiss and you certainly can't say that about System of a Down. Um, but it's weird, it's weird to think that out of those two headliners, Kiss feel like they've at least kind of been more present and done more. I mean, Kiss have put out more new albums in the last 15 years than System of a Down have, yes, which is have, fucking yeah. mental. Yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, uh, but looking at it as a sort of, when they all come in as a whole, you know, my sort of 
um, my opinion of it changed quite a bit because there is so much stuff that I go, well, I would really like to see that. I mean, Gojira on the main stage would probably be the main one. I think Frank, Frank Carton and the Rattlesnakes on the main stage, I think it would be great. That run, like we say, of Biffy, Deftones, Gojira, I think is really good. That run of Killswitch Engage and Mastodon could be great. I mean, I think Killswitch will definitely be great. I think Mastodon are rubbish in um, outdoor scenarios. Have so they I would... played, I know it doesn't, I know it's still an outdoor stage, but have they played that stage before? Because that, that's a really underrated uh, stage for making big moments at Download, I think. I think there's something about the way that, out, that second outdoor stage kind of captures everyone into that bowl that like, creates these really cool gigs, like Parkway absolutely smashed yeah. it on there. Killswitch, in fact, playing a little lower down when Jesse first came back was amazing. Very yeah. Tomorrow, a couple of years ago, was fucking brilliant on it. Like, yeah. there's, like That stage has the capacity to create really really cool moments at download now um, biscuit, that second stage biscuit headlining set a few years ago yeah yeah even like manson on there who's super yeah, up super up and down live was really good a couple of years in 2009 was fucking brilliant as well um yeah maybe i mean i reserve my right to be um like tepid in uh, in response to any idea of mastodon playing outside because i just think they're just contrary bastards and they'll probably just go, <laughs> oh, we're going to play a 45 minute set of just like jam shit. And then, yeah. Um, but that, that day's really good. Bush's new album is really great. Like surprisingly, and the wild arts are brilliant. And on that third stage, like if you're a fan of those kind of newer bands, funeral for a friend coming back is quite a big thing. If you're a fan, um, creeper just put out a brilliant record employed to serve a great, um, Loathe we've spoken about I think on here before they're fucking great Puppy are really good and then on the fourth stage I mean if you do want something heavy if you're moaning about Biffy Clyro and you want you're a metal fan I'm sorry but Sepultura Obituary Dying Fetus Bleed From Within Willhaven that's fucking heavy man that's, that's serious heavy, that is as heavy as anything Bloodstock will be doing that year like that is super heavy yeah, it's 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 mad. It's a mad run of bands. I think that I think that tent is going to be fucking busy this weekend. Um, you got Lotus Eater on there as well, who are a really cool, Larry young band. Higher Power. Higher Power. Um, I saw yeah, them supporting yeah. um, Beartooth. They didn't have the best in that day, but um, I know a lot of people are quite excited about them. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then on the Friday night as well, the fourth stage has fucking Electric Wizard. <laughs> yeah. Electric Wizard. Do you Wizard. like riffs? Yeah. A. Williams as well. Quite like Picasso. Um, you got Twin Temple on that fourth stage as well, who are a very interesting band. I know you're a fan. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about Twin Temple on that um, that that, uh, that fourth stage. I think that's one of those things where people are gonna. Don't get me wrong. I know they're not a metal band. I know it's a bit like schmucky and silly and everything else, but that's one of those bands where I think a lot of people are going to come back going, "Did you see Twin Temple on the, in the tent?" Because I just think it's going to be so unique and ridiculous and brilliant. Um, I've said it before, but they've got massive ghost vibes all over them for me, yeah. like the way they do what they do. Um, I and really, also, I really like Pops on just before them as well. That band are really cool as well. Quite excited about them. I like. I really like Foxjaw on that stage as well. Um, they're really good. Uh, Jamie Lenman on the third stage that day, really, really good. You got Baroness on there as well. Not a lot else to be honest. On the Sunday, feels like a bit of a go home early day that to me, to be honest. But. You know. I mean, corn. Uh, corn subheadlining is pretty much a reliable one of the best sets yeah. of the weekend slot, isn't it? For download, yeah. like they just yeah. don't yeah. do bad sets. I um, mean, the rest of that main stage, I think, rise against are all right. 
I don't really care for Volbeat so much anymore. Hailstorm are probably the worst band that have ever existed. I think. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. That's the nicest thing you said about them today. <laughs> that is actually the nicest thing I said about them. But I like, I've, and again, shit like Power Wolf. I think that's like, I'm not a big Power Metal fan, but something like Power Wolf, I've got no beef with Power Wolf being on the main stage. You know what? Having seen w- w- the crowds that Hailstorm and even Power Wolf are pulling these days, I think that kind of hour and a bit of Power Wolf into Hailstorm. I think that's going to be really busy on that main stage. I'm not saying that as a fan of either bands, really, but um, I think they will certainly bring a bigger crowd than Theory, who I don't even know who they are. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Probably yeah, exposing little, some ignorance there, but... It's a little bit slim on the ground uh, that Sunday for me, and as the Fridays as well, but I really like Saturday. Saturday's good. Saturday's maybe a bit too good, actually. Saturday is ridiculous. How are you going to kind of trying to balance out seeing Biffy Caro, Deftones, Gajira, Killswitch Engage, Mastodon, um, yeah, Creeper, Employed to Serve, Load, Sepultura, <laughs> Victory and Dying Feeters, and Will Haven, and Believe From Within, all on the same day. That is ridiculous. I'm very interested as well uh, in who's going to be headlining that second stage on the Friday, because that looks like a space to me, and it is above the distillers. And it's going well, it to be was, clashing with Kiss. So I'm interested to know what's going to go on that. It was going to be Offspring, wasn't it? But obviously it doesn't look like it is Offspring anymore, which is a um, bit of a shame, I think. I would have quite liked to have seen Offspring. Um, yeah, well, yeah, well, as in they were booked for 2020? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's interesting. So, you know, Dropkick Murphys would be good. Dropkicks, <laughs> Dropkicks would be cool. And they're playing Hellfest. Mm. So that, that's, I mean, that's fitting. Off the top of my head, a similar-esque band. Um, uh, a couple of... Um, they probably learned their lesson to not book um, No Effects as second stage headliners again. Um, Frank Turner? Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'd be into probably that. Um, yeah. Um, and there's two uh, third uh, Avalanche uh, headline slots as well going on. But yeah, it's an interesting lineup this year. Once again, we're kind of seeing it absolutely stacked with young bands Probably um, a lot of these really good bands, like we definitely will want to be seeing a lot of these moving up the festival bill soon, won't we? Like next yeah. time we see Loath come over, next time we see Employees to Serve come over, we don't want these bands in a tent. We want them on bigger stuff. Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm quite frustrated to see a band like Employees to Serve who got, um, you know, such a massive, massive, like, thrust in their popularity and loathe as well who've, who've come on hugely to see them on the third stage when you look at stuff like fucking daughtry and like you know actually like i've just said it i think the new bush album is really good but let's not pretend that it's worth getting too excited about watching bush in 2021 or Stonebroken. like there's a lot of these bands who are just I don't know why they're there and I don't know why. Well, they, I mean, I, I'll tell you why, because they, they, they do have a significant, uh, you know, support base that will be at downloads. I mean, you know, people who are into Kiss and Steel Panther and The Darkness. I mean, Steel Panther probably have more modern day fans as well. But, you know, there is a contingent of people there. Like Miles Kennedy's doing a couple of sets, isn't he? And, yeah, but know, that's the same as Stonebroken and fucking bush like, but no, no bush will get a tiny like l7 rock for example or yeah i suppose bush don't fit that at all actually yeah. do they you know i i and i i like them like i say i i used to like bush back in the day but their profile is massively dropped even though that new album is quite good so but i do think that you know step aside a little bit and let's put 
employed to serve have done that third stage a couple of times now like they should be going up a stage really yeah definitely it'll be it'll be uh it'll be good and it'll be important to see those bands move up um so hopefully we'll see that but yeah there's a lot to enjoy there i'm uh, i'm very excited about um being able to see kill switch engage and gajira and all the rest that saturday is going to be absolutely biblically good i think uh, and yeah it's just nice to have a download to look forward to as well so yeah. tickets are on sale now downloadfestival.co.uk and uh yeah i'm sure we'll have updates on those couple of other slots that are yet to be filled soon fuck yes downloads back very happy about that um shall we do this week's album of the week yeah why not hell yeah uh now this is a band um steve kind of mentioned oh did you know this album's out this week and actually didn't until he pointed it out but we've uh we've got a thing uh coming up in the magazine with them steve am i right in thinking you reviewed this album for the magazine as well i did yes you're correct uh, so this is a band called orbit culture and uh, i had not heard of these guys until this new album came out they got picked up by a pr company we worked with and they um as the first time they kind of got put on our radar um and they have been they're being labeled as the swedish gajira that's the kind of line that keeps getting dished out around these guys and i think that's it's definitely understandable. We mentioned earlier Gajira influencing so many bands now, and this band definitely take a big, big leaf out of uh, Gajira's book. But I don't think that really tells the whole story of what they do because, um, oh no, I've forgotten the name of that. Who's that uh, young band on Nuclear Blast that released their debut album? Oh, Iris. Iris. Um, a lot of this kind of reminds me of Iris in that yeah, it's like a, a young band taking a shit ton of elements of all the best things about modern metal and turning them into a really cool banging um, kind of slightly new sound. Uh, and yeah, I, th- I think this album's really, really good. The album's called Nija, I uh, N I J A. Uh, it's out Friday via Seek and Strike. Um, and yeah, I think Orbit Culture are really good. What are you saying about these guys, Steve? I really like them. I think they're really good. I think, yeah, the, the Gojira comparisons are they're kind of obvious once you say it, but it's not something that struck me until I actually, um, somebody actually said it to me. Um, this reminds me, if you are going to compare it to Gojira, I think it's quite quite early Gojira. This is really quite thrashy um, and the, the, the vocals are way down there at some points as well. Like it's quite a death metal, um, yeah. got a kind of mellow death, vibe to some of it but it's also got this huge clunking chunking gojira mashuga like that mechanical kind of not mechanical that kind of like math not even really mathy but like you know that kind of staccato stomp uh yeah. that kind of groove thing I kind think of chugging know. like yeah it, yeah it's really good and the vocals are like continually super brutal for the first sort of three or four songs and then there's a song called open eye that comes in which i really really like where uh you get more of a kind of um it's not really a clean vocal because it's still sort of shouting but it's a, a different type of vocal range and yeah you're right i mean iris is actually a really really good shout i think we spoke about the iris album on here before and we were saying how it just feels like a mix of sepultura and obituary and gojira and megadeth and all these different things kind of that you've definitely heard before but it's almost like they've been put into a melting pot and kind of condensed and then brought out and i think um orbit culture do that really well and the other thing 
that I think a lot of bands, a lot of bands are massively influenced by lots of different types of metal at the moment. But I think the cool thing with this is, and the cool thing with the band like Iris or the best of the bands that are doing this is that they don't sacrifice any of their own identity. I listen to this and it feels like one cohesive piece of work made by the same band. And I think in this um, modern uh, sort of playlist world that we're living in at the moment, it can be really tempting for bands to go, oh, let's do a thrash song and then let's do a kind of groove song and then let's do a kind of bouncy new metal song. And then you sort of sacrifice any sort of real sense of identity. That's like, what, um, a real strong sense of identity. I don't know why this is just reminding me of that, but I think that there are, there are actually quite significant examples of bands out there that have done that because I always think of bands like uh, Motionless in White who are kind of like, we do a little, I know they mentioned it's like, sound nothing like this band for the record, but they are literally a band that will be like, here's our Rob Zombie song, here's our Marilyn Manson song, here's our Five Finger Death Punch song. And I just think it's completely undermined them as a thing in their own right. Mm. Um, I, think, I think a lot of American bands can be quite guilty of that and yeah. kind of playing to the like the radio and the Spotify thing where it's like, this will get on this playlist, this will get on that playlist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in this case, it, I definitely agree. It all sounds really cohesive and... Um, and part of the whole, I mean, there is a lot of Gajiri stuff on there. There's a song called, um, is it Nensha? Nensha. Uh, that is just Gajira as fuck. Um, yeah. But I think there's quite a lot of kind of like heavy metal kind of hiding under this album as well. Like that kind of like gung-ho kind of like high octane thing. It's, it's kind of like woven into it rather than being the main kind of uh, pace mm. of what this album is about. But songs like The Shadowing, and at the front, like those choruses remind me of kind of modern day trivium almost. Yeah. Like, kind of like, like heavy metal, but stress on the metal. You know what I mean? Well, I did an interview, which I guess will be coming up in a, in a new issue of Metal Hammer soon with Nicholas, the, um, the guitarist and vocalist for the band. And the whole album is basically, it's meant to be a metaphor for, for his obsessive compulsive disorder. So he's got really kind of crippling OCD. And, and I said to him, like, it kind of feels like, you've com- like your OCD has compartmentalised every little strand of metal. Um, so that's quite interesting. But he also wow. said to me how he kind of doesn't really listen to metal anymore. He just listens to, like, Lord of the Rings soundtracks. And he listens to a lot of, like, you know, kind of epic um soundtrack music and uh, and composers and stuff. And he's like, that's what he mostly listens to. So obviously the link between those kind of films and the classic sound of heavy metal has been spoken about a lot over the years. And I think you can definitely hear that, um, that when they go into those, like you say, more metally bits, there is that kind of um, bombastic triumphantism to mm. a lot of this that I think, and that's, that's something that you don't really hear a lot in super. Cause you know, this is a fucking gutter all heavy when they're heavy, they can be really, really heavy, but then they, will lift it up with these kind of like you say these massive trivium um like there are a couple of bits on it where i was like that wouldn't be totally out of place on one of the heavier power metal bands albums Do you know what i mean like there right. is a little there's definitely a little feel to that as well so yeah it's a really cool kind of mishmash of stuff and it's quite it's really european but um but it's also quite uh 
contemporary sounding i think as well and it's obviously inspired by a lot of the big american bands i think it's really good really good i think it is really good and i mean i tell you what if nicholas hasn't been listening to metal someone in his band fucking has because this is a really metal album like and you, you can yeah. really pick out those influences but um yeah they pop out you they pop out at you all over the place but they all sound really like they belong there it's really cool there's even like a bit of um again i think it's at the front has almost an even like a little bit of like a slipknot bounce to it like that kind of like bound again, bound again, bound, bound, yeah. like that kind of thing. Um, so there's little bits and bobs of all kinds of shit in there, and it's really, really good. Uh, the band are called Orbits Culture. The album's called Nija N I J A. I might actually be pronouncing that wrong. Sorry if I am. Um, that's out on Friday. It's actually a big, big uh, Friday for new music. Uh, there's a new Misery single, uh, Signals album out as well. Ultraviolet is coming out on Friday. Uh, the new Avatar album, Hunter Gatherer, is out on Friday as well. We're doing quite a lot of that in an upcoming issue of Metal Hammer. Uh, there's an album from Year of the Knife coming out. Um, I mentioned last week uh, this uh, Kenyan grindcore band called Duma, um, D-U-M-A. Uh, their self-titled album is out this Friday as well. That is fucking awesome as well. Um, we only didn't talk about that more this week because we talked about it last week, but that is really, really good. Get your ears around that. Um, Steve had, you had another album you wanted to talk about, didn't you? Wait, there's something out. Um, there's a, I don't know, do you know the band Young Widows? So they're- Only they're by on, name. Yeah, so the, the guy, um, Evan Patterson, uh, from Young Widows has a sort of solo album coming out under the, under the pseudonym J Jail, and the album's called Prism. Um, it's out on Sergeant House, and I just think it's one of the best records of the year. It's absolutely fucking astonishingly brilliant. If you liked that last Daughters album, and I can't for the life of me understand why you wouldn't, um, that mixed with kind of electronic, um, almost, I mean, I was, I was going to say um, kind of synth wave then, but I think that might make it sound like it's a bit more upbeat than it actually is. Um, more like, you know, Prurient, who is the black metal, the American black metal musician who went kind of, dark electro it's like a kind of dark electronic album but mixed with this like throbbing post-punk nick cave like 80s industrial stroke art rock thing uh it's it's fucking brilliant it's it's really quite hard work but it's not it's not hard work to the point where you know when you sometimes you look at a lot of those bands like you look like a look at a band like daughters and you think well that's a significant investment and it's very depressing and it's very oppressive and it's going to be quite hard work. This is relatively difficult to get into, I would say, and it's not the happiest of records by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a dark atmospheric wonder. If you're somebody who likes Nick Cave, um, I would say that you will fucking absolutely love, like, I, I love Nick Cave and I love kind of 80s gothic post-punk stuff. If you like the idea of that done, but kind of turned into like like dark electro, then you will really really like this. It's it's really fucking it's really good. It's probably I think come the end of the year, I can't see it not being in my top ten albums of the year. It's a, it's wow. a really really brilliant brilliant record. And, and one more time, the artist and, and title of the album called Prisian and the artist is J Jail. How do you spell both of those? So um, J Jail is J-A-Y-E-J-A-Y-L-E and the album Prisian is P-R-I-S-Y-N. Cool. Glad I asked you that because we definitely would have got... Sergeant House. 
On what? On Sergeant House with all those other cool things. Very cool. Yeah, we definitely would have got it in the neck on the old uh, Facebook readers group if we don't spell that out. Uh, cool. There you go. Loads of good stuff coming out. Um, it is turning into a really, really good year for metal. Uh, I'm not saying that lightly. Um, there's rarely a year that goes by where I haven't got some good heavy stuff that I'm enjoying. But yeah, this year feels very exciting. And there is some fucking good stuff yet to come as well, by the way. Um, enough about the here and now. Let's get nostalgic. Uh, we're going to do the next Metal Hammer podcast, Hall of Fame, the prestigious Hall of Fame. So if you haven't heard us do one of these before, I'm going to try and explain the rules <laughs> as simply as I can. Um, we pick one album by a legendary band to go into the imaginary, but still very important Metal Hammer podcast Hall of Fame. The way we pick this album is that we put every single album from that band's discography up for a public vote over on the Facebook readers group, which is at facebook.com slash readers, by the way, if you haven't joined us yet. If you haven't, where are you? Come hang out. Uh, so you guys get to vote on all of the albums by any given artist. And we take the top two most popular picks and we debate them. And uh, we vote on them at the end. And then the album with the most votes from the panel we have amassed, which is in this case, just me and Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album with the most votes officially gets entered into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame, which so far features the likes of Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson, Follow the Leader by Korn, uh, Slipknot's debut album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden, and most recently, Alive or Just Breathing by Killswitch Engage, a shock result in that, uh, in that podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, and this week, I'm really excited about this one because it's um, helped me to re-engage with a band that... Uh, in the grand scheme of things, one of my single favorite metal bands of all time. And for a little while in the mid-90s, uh, mid-90s, I wish, in the mid-noughties, were one of my very, very, very favorite bands in the world. Um, we are doing In Flames this week. Uh, you excited about this one, Steve? I'm really excited about this one. I think I'm more excited about this one than I am anything we've done so far, because all of the other ones, I feel like, are quite well-trodden ground, aren't they? Slipknot, Killswitch Engage, Korn, Marilyn Manson. And in a lot of cases... They were fair, like, certainly from my perspective, Antichrist Superstar was a no-brainer. Um, uh, for my own personal taste, um, End of Heartache was like always going to win, I think. Um, and, you know, the first Corn album um, was fairly easy. The second one was quite difficult, but ultimately, like, it wasn't as much of a sort of brain buster as this one has been. And I don't really feel like people talk about In Flames certainly not as much as those bands I just mentioned mm. um, with the kind of reverence I think you and I are about to speak about them with. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really up for this to be honest. Right. Let's fucking get into it then. So in flames, of course, uh, famously from the incredibly important and influential uh, kind of graduates of the Gothenburg metal scene, uh, pioneered melodic death metal in the 1990s. And without this band, I mean, metal would just, I don't even know what it would look like today. We would not have had the metalcore boom in the mid-noughties that we know. We would not have the likes of Trivium um, and all the bands they have influenced. Uh, They are, it's weird to me that this band aren't consistently featured as one of the most influential 90s metal bands. Because when people talk about the 90s in metal, they instantly go Pantera, Korn, uh, kind of Sepultura, that, that, that kind of album period for them. Um, in flames kind of take a while to come out in that conversation but i think they are every bit as if not maybe with the exception of corn and pantera but they are the most 
influential metal bands kind of after that immediate class. Um, they got together originally in 1990. Uh, they pissed about with kind of session vocalists for their first few releases, including their debut studio album, Lunar Strain. Uh, that album featured one Michael Stan, who would later go on to join Dark Tranquility. Funnily enough, uh, Dark Tranquility's original vocalist was a fella called Anders Frieden, who would then come over to join In Flames. Uh, so they did a bit of a swap that worked out quite well for both bands, I think it's mm. fairly safe to say. Uh, and then In Flames from this point on, from the mid-90s, went on what I think is comfortably one of the single greatest runs in the history of metal. Um, they put out The Jester Race in 1996, and then that was followed by Horacle, Colony, and Clayman. An unbelievable run of four records. Um, and then they, they t- have taken a very interesting journey after that in the post-millennium. Uh, so the next few albums they did after Clayman were absolutely nothing to sniff at either. Uh, Reroute to Remain was actually the first album I got into on In Flames. Um, uh, Kerrang! Magazine had a, uh, a, a, a CD, like a Best of 2002 CD, I think it was, or something like that, and had System on it. Um, I was not into death metal of any kind at all, so this was really new to me. I was into Killswitch Engage and like early Fear Factory. That's probably as close as I got to that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll get into that a bit later. But yeah, so Reroute to Remain came out. Uh, they kind of went a bit more electronic. That continued into Soundtrack to Your Escape. Uh, and then they released Come Clarity in 2006, which was a kind of, I don't want to say a return, but it was kind of a sideways move into a more straight up, almost like melodic metalcore kind of vibe. Um, and then it's kind of been a bit of a slow but sure kind of road back down again since then. I mean, a sense of purpose and sounds of the playground fading. I think you got off the Inflames train a little bit earlier than I did, didn't I? Because for me, a sounds of a playground fading is the last genuinely good album that Inflames did. Um, I mean, I bought a sense of purpose on the day it came out because I really loved Come Clarity, and I remember thinking it was all right. Um, and then, but, but I did lose my mojo with them a little bit, um, after that record. And when Sounds of the Playground Fading came out, I wasn't really excited. I, I didn't feel as excited about them for whatever reason. And I think that's okay. I mean, in, it, it's good in retrospect. I think it's probably, I wasn't that excited at the time, but when you look at what they've put out since then, uh, actually holds up rather well, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not keen on where they've uh, on where they've gone in the last few years. Personally, what I will say is, um, when we did the vote for this, Steve and I got a bit alarmed because you cheeky fuckers on the Facebook readers group, initially for about a day or so, uh, most recent album, 2019's Either Mask, was winning the the poll, uh, and we were like, are we going to have to talk about this record, which we've not actually even listened to that much. Um, and I've kind of thought this one ever, wouldn't it? It would have just been like <laughs> yeah. whatever you picked against it is the winner. Oh, they picked battles, shit. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting one where, where they've gone. Um, let's let's yeah. Let's just quickly do where they're kind of at now in flames because I kind of looked this up because I was like, well, there must be people that like this new stuff. Um, and sure enough, if you actually look at the stats on their recent material, uh, the lead single of either mask, which was called uh, "I Am Above." Um, that's one of their top kind of five most streamed tracks ever on uh, on Spotify. And I know that's kind of, you'd, you'd almost expect that from a fairly big band, that one of their recent tracks would be up there. But nothing else they've delivered um, in the last 10 years comes even close to that. 
So it definitely has struck a chord with somebody. Uh, similarly, um, I haven't got the numbers in front of me now, but I was looking at how many views that video has done on YouTube for them. And it absolutely dwarfs everything else they've done. Absolutely dwarfs it. I'm talking like uh, one, two, three, seven figures, you know, compared to anything else they've done. Um, so I think what they've just done is they've crossed over to a very dim a different demographic. And it's a demographic I maybe don't fully engage with and understand, but they've obviously kind of seen something in the water that they can kind of get in on and it's working for them. Uh, but that all said, and despite what our lovely, a few lovely readers voted for, I think it's hard to argue that that nineties run is really, um, including Clayman and that, which came out in 2000, that's really where it was at for in flames. And, uh, they put out some banging albums out outside of that as well. Um, have you got any kind of thoughts on that, that initial run of, uh, Jester Race to, to Clay Man. I mean, Luna Strain's a great album as well, but it felt like they kind of clicked into gear on Jester Race, didn't they, really? Yeah, um, I'm not entirely... Um, maybe we feel... I mean, we might feel slightly differently about this. I actually think... I mean, I would absolutely add Route to Remain in of that run of albums. Um, I, I think the reason people don't talk about In Flames in the 90s as much is maybe just because... I mean, certainly from my memory and my perspective as a you know would have been sort of 16 17 18 year old growing up around that time um the magazines didn't really talk about in flames as influential as those albums have gone on to be at the time you know they weren't on the front cover of magazines you know it was machine head and you mentioned fear factory um which became corn and deftones and slipknot and stuff and that was what metal kind of looked like in the eyes of the the metal media for a good few years so i don't really think that um you should be too surprised that people don't mention them as a 90s band immediately because i think it's one of those things where the aftermath and the retrospect is is where people are now going back and going all oh, right they were great that whole time i mean i i knew the name but when i think back i think like they played the LA2 opening for Cradle of Filth in about 1998, 1999. So they would have been on Colony around that period, probably when they played, if it was 1999. And, oh, yeah. and um, they were like the opening band on a four-band bill. Um, they were just not big in this country. They were just not a kind of significant, sizable band in this country, no matter how good that stuff they were putting out was. You know, in the same way as in the late 90s, no one really talked about Carcass or At The Gates. Um, no one really talked about In Flames. So uh, I think that's kind of what it is. Um, I, like you, first heard them on Route to, uh, Route to Remain, probably because they got added to the bill at the Slipknot show at the Docklands Arena. And that felt like a massive shock. Like, oh my God, they've picked this really, really underground death metal band who I don't really know very much about. but um they're going to be playing an arena with slipknot and that sort of shit just didn't really happen back in those days so you know fair play to slipknot for um putting them more on people's radar and i just think from then on that's when the build really started to happen and i think then people went back to like horacle and stuff and were like oh my god their old stuff's brilliant but i don't know weirdly i always thought of them more as a kind of early 2000s band rather than a 90s band even though like you say you could probably argue that creatively their peak um, was actually during that, that period. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, it's funny for, to, hear, to, 
to see that I'm kind of projecting the perspective that like I was all about the 90s into Clayman stuff because I, I of course as a kind of new metal kid I was I got into them in the in the early 2000s stuff as well um, and yeah absolutely no discredit to reroute to remain at all as a matter of fact I, there's a lot of people I talk to where that, that is their in flames album that's the one they pick um, I think there's probably a lot of people like me who kind of came into metal through those like really mainstream bands like Biscuit, Lincoln Park, et cetera, et cetera, who kind of swelled around in that new metal scene for a year or two before it started to just collapse in on itself and mm. then kind of looked for the next thing. And that is where, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Alive or Just Breathing by uh, Kill Switch Engage and Reroute to Remain by Inflames both came out in that year and they both uh, held so dearly to metalheads that are kind of, late 20s to early 30s because it really came at that time when the metal scene was ready to like embrace other stuff that was doing stuff a bit yeah. differently Reroute to Remain is a fucking great album um, yeah. uh, as I say it's where they, they start to kind of go a bit more electronic-y because if you look at like even Lunar Strain even though it sounds a lot rawer like there's a there's a but um, especially from Jester Race and Horacle and Colony those three albums in particular have a very clear kind of linear like path kind of connecting them all um, and then Clayman's where they kind of went right we're just gonna write bangers now <laughs> uh, yeah. and like take the kind of synth stuff up to the kind of super cheesy levels and, and all the rest of it and then uh, Reroute to Remain and Soundtrack to Your Escape that's a really interesting period for Inflames because it felt like they were kind of really building uh, this kind of reputation as this kind of slightly more expansive um, atmospheric electronic heavy kind of modern metal band um and then come 2006 they kind of just pushed a lot of that to the side and again they just went fuck it like metalcore's massive let's just write the best metalcore album of 2006 and see how that is yeah. uh, and they wrote come clarity which is a fucking phenomenal album and just gave them this weird kind of little extra lift in the 90s where even though they were a band that were like 16 years into their career and by that point uh, one two three four five six seven eight albums in at that point they suddenly like that that was kind of like the coolest in flames ever were like they mm -hmm. felt like a kind of modern part of the metal scene then in a really interesting way and um, they were doing like things like they did the metal hammer show uh at uh, hammersmith around that time i think um, i remember i saw them at the forum and i don't know if you remember but they started like dressing like they've been tailored by like atticus or something like they yeah. were wearing like white shirts with red ties. And I think there was something about this period that I found really interesting because they almost kind of brought out a kind of, for want of a better word, a kind of emo-iness to their, to their kind of vibe where they were like suddenly dressing like, you know, someone like My Chemical Romance might dress in a video. And they, like Anders was singing these far more introspective and dare it be said in some cases, almost romantic lyrics like the, the title track to Come Clary, for instance. Um, and they kind of sailed that kind of weird, like we're a melodic death metal band, but we're playing kind of metalcore, but there's this kind of like slightly different aesthetic. Like when you look at the, um, the album art to a sense of purpose, it feels like something that's aimed more at, I don't know, like. Funeral for a friend fans. Yeah. Or like, I was going to say, it's almost looks like something motionless and white might put on an album cover now. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of like, schlocky romanticized strain of metalcore and, and hardcore yeah. Rounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. am i making sense yeah. with all this yeah yeah i thought they would, like i actually think that kind of come clarity era for in flames is probably 
if you're looking at like if you're a, if you're an established metal band who have never really broken through and it feels like you kind of missed the boat missed the boat missed the boat which you know let's be honest i don't really think you could listen to the jester race and in you know in the mid 90s and have gone oh well, this band are going to end up you know on main stage festivals and you know mm. 20 years from now touring with fighting death punch and being you know playing Wembley arena and stuff like that i don't really think you could have thought that but at the same time that kind of transition into that world from as like incremental changes in not just their sound but in the way that they behaved i think is that would be like the expert lesson into mm. how to kind of rebuild your brand if you like without wanting to yeah. sound like fucking media wanker well, that's mean, what they did that's what they did they suddenly weren't this like weird little gumby death metal band anymore they were like a cool modern yeah they looked cool and they were playing um i mean i think one of the things they did which i which i remember being like oh wow if they play on the come clarity tour they played the astoria in london and sepultura was supporting them now sepultura obviously are a fucking massive name in metal and were a in the 90s a far 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 bigger name than in flames and that as a statement, we're going to take Sepultura out to tour with us. They're going to support us. Mm. Like that's a, you know, that's a really kind of ballsy thing to do. But mm. at the time you, you couldn't, have, you, you couldn't argue that they didn't deserve to be headlining over Sepultura because of the music they were putting out was, it felt more current. It was appealing to more people. They, like you say, they looked kind of, I don't want to use the word cooler, but they looked different um that stage set they had with all the led lights going behind them mm. it was just you know they they played with they were main support to slayer on the unholy alliance and like bless them there to go on after lamb of god which you know i wouldn't being sandwiched between slayer and lamb of god is not fun no. for anyone especially back then um and they had a bit of a tough time but i do remember thinking like it's just it is a completely different vibe mm. to anyone else on this bill um yeah, it's it's an interesting point, and I think you know <laughs> they pushed that as far as they could. They've now pushed it to the point where I think they've pushed it over the hill, and it's rolling out of control back down the other side of the hill, um, really. But I think when it was good, that whole period, it was fucking brilliant. They were they were really on it. They were it was great. It was mate. It, I mean, it was it was the like that you can kind of look back on certain times in your life, can't you? And, and kind of pinpoint when you were most into a band and like they were the band you were most into beyond any other at that period in time. And, you know, bearing in mind that uh, I made and put out a matter of life or death in 2006 as well, which, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier for many people it's one of the best things they've done in the modern era. It's a fucking great album. Um, when I think about that time in my life, I always think about in flames. I was borderline obsessed with this band at this point because um, I like Soundtrack to Your Escape a lot. I think Soundtrack might be the, the album I was thinking of when they did that Metal Hammer Christmas show when it was like them, Chimera and Lacuna Coil. Can't quite remember what year it was, but it was in that mid-noughties period. Um, and uh, yeah, I liked Soundtrack to Your Escape a lot, but I didn't like it as much as Reroute to Remain. And it was kind of on that thing where I was like, mm, yeah, I hope this band is still going to like be on it um, for this next album. And then, yeah, Come Clarity is just a fucking unbelievable record. Um, it was, in fact, one of the two albums that eventually uh, the good people of the Metal Hammer Readers Group did vote as one of the two we're going to debate. Um, so the top two were uh, Come Clarity and were Clayman. Um, so we just talked a bit about Come Clarity. We'll come back to it in a bit. But let's talk Clayman first. Um, this album, I think it's fairly safe to say, 
even though Reroot to Remain maybe exposed them a little bit more to kind of a lot of the new metal generation, uh, once they were kind of ready to start listening to, to music like that, Clayman really was one of the most significant shifts I think any band has taken in terms of moving towards a more kind of mainstream metal aesthetic and mainstream metal sound. Um, the signs are there and writ quite large on Horacle and Colony, which are two just phenomenal albums as well. But Clayman just feels like the closest thing any death metal band has ever produced to like a black album where they just went, we're just going to write massive, catchy, arena-ready uh, metal songs. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Only for the Week is still, by a distance, their most popular and well-known song, like, mm. by a long way. Um, this album is fucking unbelievable. I mean, that opening quartet of... Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, trio of Bullet Ride, Pinball Map, and Only for the Week is just... That's nuts. That's yeah. like... That's the hit factor, isn't it? This is this is the, you know, people have this is this is like the kind of um, melodic death metal chocolate starfish. This album, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like every single song sounds like you kind of know it even without really knowing it. Do you know? What I, mean? I, I always, I remember getting this because I mean, actually, soundtrack to Escape was the first In Flames album that I bought, and it's before Come Clarity came out. I was sort of intrigued by Ruritu Remain. I bought Soundtrack to Your Escape and I was a bit like, because it's very electronic. And actually that's aged a lot better than I remember it aging. I remember thinking, nah, actually this band aren't really for me maybe. Um, and then when Come Clarity came out, I was like, oh, maybe they are actually. And I was like, I should go back and get, that's when I was like, I should go back and get mm -hmm. their old stuff. And the first thing I bought was Clayman. I remember the girl in the, the shop where I bought it from was like, this album is amazing. That's what she said to me as I bought it. And I got it back and I remember being like, I feel like I've heard half of these songs. Mm. Like even without knowing really anything about this band pre sort of a couple of years ago. Mm. And it's just because either they get played, they've been played late night on Headbangers Ball, or I think they'd be getting played in between songs when I go and see a metal band or whatever. Um, but the other thing about it is, is that even if you didn't know those songs, they just, how can you not have the chorus to pinball map in your head first time around? Mm. You know, I mean, you listen to it and it's there. And I think the great thing about this album um, and the great thing about music like this in general, I think is when you're doing something which is like metal and death metal is quite a challenging genre of music to get into. If you can make that instantaneous, but then still give people layers like fourth, fifth time around that you listen to it. Mm. If you can get in their head on listen one, but give them something new on listen 10. Mm. That is, I think that is the bullseye thing that you need to be looking for. And I think this album is an instant banger, but it's also got loads of cool little weird guitar parts, mm. loads of really little intricate rhythm sections that you don't notice the first time around. You notice it on the 10th, 20th listen. Mm. Um, and that is a really, really difficult skill. I think this album is like, for whatever album I end up picking, this is an expert piece of songwriting. And if, if you're someone who's trying to go, how do I write songs? This is an unbelievable record to give someone to go, this is how you should try and write songs. Do you know what I mean? The songwriting on it is fucking amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Absolutely astonishing. Um, it's, it's really uniquely kind of catchy as well, these songs. Like, 
you know, we'll talk about Come Clarity more, but when, when they did Come Clarity, that, would, that felt more like an album that was in flames doing, I mean, it's weird because they kind of invented it in the first place, but it was kind of like in flames doing what a ton of bands were doing at the time, but they just did it better than anyone else because they wrote the blueprint for a lot of it. Whereas Clay Man, like, you listen to like the kind of chorus to songs like Pinball Map and, and Clay Man themselves, they're like, they're not really like any other kind of chorus you kind of get. They, they kind of bounce along in a really unique vibe that most bands who write these kind of big arena ready songs just don't really do Mm. Um, i don't think any band has ever really produced an album quite like clayman because it's still got a foot in death metal and you can kind of feel that there bubbling under the surface but it's so uniquely polished and uniquely catchy in a completely different way from anything that had ever really even come before it Mm. um and uh yeah i mean it's just it's just ridiculous i mean even apart from those opening that ending trio you look at songs like clay man the title track is huge swim is one of their biggest was one of their biggest tracks for years after this as well that kind of maiden dual guitar attack and um, being really taken out of the melodeath thing uh like more clearly than it had ever been done before um every single song on here is fucking great and it's got that cover of World of Promises on it, which is fucking good as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, they're covering fucking No Fun at all at the end. I don't know if we're counting those two at the end as well, um, that were kind of deluxe edition um, added on extras. But, I mean, no, like, I know, obviously, that I think out of the two, World of Promises is, is, is the better song and the better cover. But for me, I think it says quite a lot that they're covering a band like No Fun at all, because that's not just your death metal roots, but that's a sort of punk rock Roots and like Sweden has a really cool punk scene and a really unique and innovative punk scene, which I think you know, like they were coming up at the same time as Refused were coming up, um, who uh, possibly written the greatest punk album ever made, right? And um, yeah, so it was a, just a really super creative time, and so many like you know, what you say at the choruses is really true because they kind of they stop and they start and then they go up and they go into like weird little cul-de-sacs but mm. they're still really catchy mm. they're still really really catchy and i think it's the sort of thing that a record label executive like uh, you know i don't want to kind of paint record label executives as you know these these idiot suits and they don't understand music man cigar wielding slicked back. <laughs> yeah yeah but that kind of stereotype of what those people are like i think they would people who were trying to go right how do we make a, a radio hit or whatever would listen to a chorus of a song like you mentioned pinball map and go no 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 it's not straightforward enough it's not linear enough but it's just as catchy as anything else it's just mm. more interesting and the guitars come up and then the, the vocals and the guitars almost kind of trade off of each other a little bit um yeah everything on this is brilliant this is a fucking brilliant record it's unbelievable i mean, I mean only for the week as well like it, obviously it's their best known song but we should probably talk about it because again it's got this unique kind of it's like someone took like the final countdown or something and like kind of slowed it down beefed it up and layered like death metal under it it's a fucking mental song like now we're kind of used to these kind of sonics being present but in the year 2000 like what the where, where do you come up with a song like this it's got a westlife key change yeah it does it does it it's actually got uh we get off the fucking stools keychain like pop music you know they're drawing from not just pop music but the cheesiest type of pop music as well and making it sound heavy and contemporary and fucking cool and that song still sounds i mean that's a 
that's a that's a mad song so mad so mad and a lot of um you know a lot of these uh as opposed to kind of where they went lyrically later on and i think crumb clarity is a really good example of that mm. and still kind of very like worldly view kind of lyrics going on here as well uh very yeah. kind of cynical and and um you know some quite dystopian stuff going on there as well although we did have stuff like clay man which is a bit more soul bearing and and uh you know kind of um insular storytelling uh so yeah it's just it's just an unbelievable album i think um in fact someone has a question about this later so i won't do this quite now but uh yeah it's 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 just a fucking amazing album it's an amazing amazing album and it's the one album i feel like this is the one album which everyone who loves in flames kind of agrees on like whether you came into them at the start or you came into them in the mid noughties or whatever i think everyone looks at this album and go yeah clayman rules yeah, I think so. I mean, it does, it's always sort of felt like, uh, I've heard lots of different people saying that lots of different albums are the best ones. Um, I mean, usually it is Colony, Just Erased, This, or uh, We Reach Your Remain, or Come. I mean, the fact that they, I've just named like five of their albums. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, just goes to show the sort of the, the, the journey that they've been on. But there are lots of people that I've spoken to and they've all sort of said a different one, but I would imagine, I would imagine overall, if you were to poll every single In Flames fan ever, I think this would probably come out on top, probably. I think there's a very good chance of that. Or even, I reckon as well, anyone who doesn't pick it at number one would probably be at number two. Fair, fair. Yeah, you're probably right. It wouldn't be far from most fans' uh, top threes or so. Um, and, and the other album, which you guys uh, picked for us to vote on here, is 2006's Come Clarity. Now, when I talk individually to people, especially people around my age who were, you know, kind of ripe for that, like, fucking metalcore boom when this album came out, um, and loads of people do reference this album. So on one side, I wasn't surprised by it. But on the other, it's such an interesting album to me because, like I said before, they kind of just fucked off the journey that they were on to that <laughs> point you know that like soundtrack is soundtrack to your escape is such an interesting record because it really did look like they were going to move into something expansive and crazy and electronic heavy and um when you think about where they could have gone from that album as a starting point mm. like the possibilities were fascinating but lo and behold two years later they just go and write a banging metalcore album basically um and this record again, I was listening to it earlier and uh, I, have an, I have a, this is definitely the In Flames album I have the most emotional attachment to because it was a record that came just at the right time. I'd got into In Flames in a big way. I liked the, I liked soundtrack, but I was ready for something better for them. I wanted them to produce something truly fucking brilliant. I was heavily into like Killswitch Engage and stuff like that at this point. Um, and uh, yeah, like it was just, it was a, it was a, time where this album pretty much soundtracked this year for me um and you listen to even though these songs aren't kind of set list staples and like haven't gone down in in flames lore in the same way um in terms of pure quality the opening six tracks on this album are fucking unbelievable like take this life is obviously one of their biggest songs now Mm -hmm. Uh, leeches though is huge reflect the storm is huge that track dead end is fucking massive i don't know why they haven't played it more it's probably because it's got the guest vocals on it but yeah absolutely huge um scream is a really big track as well that's kind of like the heaviest track on here 
And then you get to come clarity, which was, I mean, easily the most controversial song they've written by this point. They basically wrote a straight up acoustic heavy love ballad. They wrote a power ballad, basically. Yeah, they did. Um, and this, I think, I think it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's, it is simplistic. It's cheesy. It's shameless light is in the air bullshit. But I think they absolutely fucking pulled it off, and I think it's a fantastic tune. What do you think? Yeah, I really, I really like it as well. Um, I think it's quite telling that they released that as an EP, um, and the B side they released it as a single, and the B side to it was only for the week. Um, yeah. quite a nice bit of like point. Synch- synchronicity between those two things. It's almost like they were going, we have kind of done this before, like we have kind of tried. It's not to the same level, obviously, but you know we have always been sort of traveling in this direction. Um, this might be. Um, I think this is a more varied record than Clayman, for sure. Mm. Um, I think it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's consistently better. Um, I don't think you could argue that the high points on this are as high as Clayman either, really, if you're taking out individual songs, personally. I think if you're looking at Pinball Map versus, say, Take This Life, I'm not really... I, like I, that's quite an easy one for me. But I do find this record. I think this is actually um, a really interesting, a really consistent record. Um, listening back to it, because I hadn't listened to it for a few years, I always thought, you know, oh, this would be one of my favourite, favourite, favourite In Flames albums. Listening back to it, I think it's really good. I think it's really good, and everything you said about it being, you know, this kind of massive banger that was necessary for the time i think the time plays quite a lot of context in like plays into the context really well because it felt like this is the album that if they were ever going to do it and it's quite a clever thing to do if you were ever going to do it if you're ever going to really break through and become one of those big bands you've got to make an album that sounds like this with a song like the title track with you know all the stuff that is popular at the time and you've got to make a consistently great concise um record which they did do uh is it as good as Clayman? i'm not sure um yeah it's 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 a it's a hard one because for me the problem is is that i genuinely don't think that either of these albums have bad tracks on i don't think there's one bad track between either of these two records but if you're kind of you're you're sifting them into like kind of a list and b list based on i guess how famous they are right you know the kind of big singles of each track um off each album i think the lesser tracks i think you can make an argument that the lesser tracks on come clarity are as good as or better than some of the lesser tracks on um Clayman. if you take a song like crawling through knives i think that's well, one yeah. of the best songs in flames i've ever written basically yeah. took like almost like the riff to holy diver or something that kind of dun, 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 and just sped it up a bit and just layered it with the biggest fucking chorus, I mean, the production on this album as well, everything sounds massive. And, and all the songs, even Come Clarity does it in a slightly different way. They always this kind of like intense emotional climax that just feels like the fucking earth's about to crack or something. Like they all sound so huge. Um, and yeah, Clawing Through Knives sounds actually massive. As I said, I think Leeches sound huge. Dead End is fucking massive. Even the kind of few tracks at the end, which get piss all kind of attention. Versus Terminus, Infinite Struggle, Vanishing Light. When you actually listen back to these, you're still like, yeah, these are still really, really good songs as well, though. Like, these are not kind of filler tracks. Um, so for me, 
I think, I don't know if either of these albums are quite my favourite album. I feel like Colony is my favourite In Flames album because it's kind of still rooted in the like proper melodic death metal that they are doing in the 90s, but it's got that kind of emotional underbelly to it mm. that kind of came up to the fore later on. Like a song like Ordinary Story is just like, that to me is the point where you could pinpoint that this band was special and they had more in their locker than any other melodic death metal band. I'm not saying that makes them better than At The Gates. I'm not saying it makes them better than Dark Tranquility, but you listen to Ordinary Story and it just elevates them as a creative force for me because it's like, well, no other band in this scene could do something like this um, and do it so well. Uh, so for me, I feel like Colony might be my favourite In Flames album overall, but I definitely have the most emotional connection to Come Clarity because... It w- it's the best album they have released since I've become a fan of In Flames, basically. And yeah, by some margin as well, to be honest. It's probably true for me. I mean, I, I was going to say, actually, going back to what you said, the fact that you immediately from the second half brought up Crawl Through Knives, which I think is comfortably the highlight of that second half, which mm-hmm. isn't quite as good as the first half. Whereas yeah. I think Clayman, it, it, the, 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 the level of consistency on Clayman all the way through is similar yeah. i think it does i think come clarity drops off a little bit but not to the point like you say where you change anything from it i just think that the opening i mean the opening one two is incredible uh but then the opening one two three on clayman is absolutely fucking incredible as well um and there are you know there are some really really good moments on it i mean i i actually um i actually really like your bedtime story of scaring everyone as a kind of just an odd closing song you know it's just an odd way to to end an album which metal bands didn't used to didn't usually do that like back in those days i think it's become it's become quite a like a sort of trope of metal these days but they didn't used to do that kind of thing um see so yeah, it's good i mean it's certainly yeah without any question the best in flames album that's come out since i've been kind of actively listening to in flames um what's my favorite record i mean i actually really love Root to remain um it feels like there's no wrong answer with this stuff. Though, yeah. Like it doesn't, yeah. like no one's going to go, no, no, no one's really going to hear you go, my favorite In Flames album is Reroute to Remain or hear me go, my favorite In Flames album is Colony or hear someone go, my favorite In Flames album is Clayman or Come Clarity and go, what really? Like if you say your favorite Metallica album is Loads, people go, huh? Even though that's a fucking great album. If you say <laughs> yeah. your favorite Iron Maiden album is, uh, you know, my favorite Iron Maiden album is probably Brave New World and people go, huh? Like, but within Flames, they legitimately have about five or six albums that people could say, no, that's my favorite album. And you go, yeah, fair enough. That's brilliant. And there's not many metal bands you can say that about. Mm. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know. I mean, actually, Rui Jermaine's probably my second. I think what I'm going to pick is my favorite, actually. Um, You know, so. (laughs) Let's get through to, let's go to this vote then. So um, it's just me and Steve. I've got a feeling that we're not, we're not going to need to do this because normally it's a vote out of three. But if uh, this thing gets tied, we'll throw it back to the Metal Hammer Facebook to pick the final, um, the final vote. And I've got a feeling the final vote might echo our votes anyway because I think we're going to vote for the same thing. But let's see what happens. Uh, so closing statements and your vote. What goes into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame, Steve? Come Clarity or Clayman? Well... 
I don't really want to take anything away from Come Clarity, which I think is a good album. And when it's great, it's an absolutely fucking astonishingly brilliant record. There are great tracks all over it. It was absolutely the record that needed to be made at that time to turn in flames from, you know, a fairly sort of um, tiny underground curio of a band who had influenced a bunch of stuff into a big band. And those songs are massive. But for me, the jump that they made on Clayman um, in terms of the songwriting and the production and just it's it's still linked enough to their early stuff for me to think this is a rooted in death metal. Do you know what I mean? In melodic death metal. And I also think, like I said, the high points on Come Clarity are really, really fucking high. But the high points on Clayman are as high as pretty much any band in metal has ever managed. When you look at those, those big songs, when you look at that opening three um, and you know, when you get to the title track, fucking hell man. And like I said, swim and stuff like that. It's just all over the place. Like there are highlights everywhere and at, at its very, very best. I don't think many people can live with that record. So as good as come clarity is, I am absolutely going to have to go for Clayman, I'm afraid. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to back you on that. I think I kind of think it has to be Clayman, um, just because even though you could make numerous compelling arguments for why other albums were better or other albums were your favourite, uh, Clayman just feels like such a, uh, an, an important moment, um, not just for influence, but for kind of people like Steve said, like people having the opportunity to kind of get into death metal in the first place. It broke that barrier down in a way that no other band has done before or since. Um, and to write an album that is just so stacked with absolute fucking bangers, so instantaneous, so catchy, but is also so layered, still so rooted in death metal um, and still feels like it was part of the same journey. It wasn't like a weird sidestep or a kind of mad bit of experimentation uh, it all still kind of fits as part of the same overall puzzle um, and it's just a classic it's a 10 out of 10 record and uh, I think it has to be that so I'm going to vote for Clayman too but um, I actually feel like I since I got into Inflames I've certainly listened to Come Clarity more overall and I think I'll probably continue to, to listen to Come Clarity um, more forever because it's an album that holds a really special place in my heart and i think it is like like what steve said one of the best examples of a band kind of changing their own destiny and kind of completely reshuffling where they stood in metal's hierarchy and the kind of metal the way people thought of this band i mean i'm just looking at the artwork actually you even look at the artwork you know, they had the, that, um, that guy that did that Sepultura artwork as well. I can't remember what he's called. Yeah. He did the sketch of the dude pulling his heart out and holding it out. Like, it so fits into what was kind of cool and popular mm. in the kind of metal and hardcore and, and emo scene at the time, doesn't it? Like, it just fits. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it was really savvy, but it wouldn't have worked if they didn't make an album that felt fucking huge, emotionally massive and um, the like maybe the best production there is on an Inflames album and just, yeah, fucking great. So it's a 10 versus a very, very, very high nine for me. But yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be Clayman, I think. I think it's the most obvious answer for that. Um, do we, 
to end up, do we kind of talk about what they should do next? Because I'm not being funny. After, speak, after speaking and listening to about In Flames a lot and listening to In Flames a lot, I do kind of, it's very difficult to, to look at them now and not be a little bit like, oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's hard because, like I said, there, there was a time where, um, you know, anyone asked me who my favourite metal band is, I say, I made it all day long. But there really was a time where I, I probably, at the time, wouldn't have said In Flames. And, uh, you know, after Come Clarity, they did A Sense of Purpose, which is a really good album. I really, really like Sounds of a Playground Fading as well. That made my top 20 for Metal Hammer that year. And I still listen to it. I think it's good. But the last three records, it's like, it's, it's slim pickings on Siren Charms. I didn't dig Battles. And I listened to Either Mask, I think, once and just went, this band aren't for me anymore. And yeah, it's hard because, like I said, they're clearly a finding a new audience again, which you wouldn't have thought a band like In Flames would have the capacity to do in, you know, 2020, 2019. But they are doing that. So I can't really hold it against them for making this movement into kind of what I find kind of quite formless, radio rock-friendly, heavy rock music. Um, so it works for them, and I'm fine with that. But um, I would... The thing is, is that I remember you and I went, well, you, you and I saw them at Shepherd's Bush Empire with While She Sleeps supporting them in 2014 on that Siren Charms tour. Yeah. I was like, as long as they're still good live, we can, we can fucking, yeah, I can they were fucking great that night. And they were fucking brilliant. And then on the Battles tour, and I think like, I mean, I think either mask is wank, but Battles is the worst. Battles is fucking dreadful, that record. It is a proper one out of ten disaster it's a car crash and i saw them they played the main stage at download what was it 2017 i want to say um, um i can't remember it speaks volumes that i can't even remember i don't think i ever watched them they just they were so lackadaisical they're so bored they didn't look interested and it was just a really bad sort of like you say flabby formless set full of really dull material and when they whacked out something like only for the week they kind of plodded through it and I was just like, well now, like now you've really like <laughs> you're in you're in real trouble. If the when the live show goes, I think that's when when you have to worry a bit. Yeah, um, for sure. They were bad. Um, really bad. Although it's interesting to know to think that there are probably a lot of people seeing them live for the first time thinking, wow, this band's amazing. And I wonder what those people will make of going back and listening to because I get like the thing about those mid noughties albums is that if you got into influence for the first time ever on a sense of purpose, even yeah. you could go back and listen to the jester race and still find some of those threads and be like, wow. And that'll like really click with you, but there's yeah. just nothing left really. There's right. so little left of what they were. that yeah. they're just a completely different band. I mean, it's, it's probably, I, I couldn't tell you just off the top of my head exactly how much he was involved with uh, all the main music writing across the years, but you know, J- Jesper Stromblad leaving the band um, might have had something to do with that. Mm. Um, if not, then I don't know what Anders and Bjorn are up to, really. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're a very, very different band from where they were at in the mid-2000s. Like, most of that lineup is now long gone. Um, and, yeah, they're just a different band. Everything about them, they're, they're, the way they look on stage, their iconography, the music... They're just a completely different band now. And I think that last album was the point where I went, okay, I just got to let Flames go now because they're just not, just not for me. But that doesn't mean they're not for ever, ever anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, lads. 
but there you go. We've got all those uh, classic albums to dig into. Um, and yeah, fuck me. What a brilliant, brilliant band they have been. Let's rock through some reader questions now, shall we? Facebook.com slash Readers is the place to ask them. Uh, Joe Bambrick asks, will the UK ever have another major rock or metal festival that can rival Download the way Sonosphere used to? Or is Download now too big to compete with? I don't know if Download's bearing in what we've said is too big. I think it's probably, it's probably the lack of big rock and metal bands to book, isn't it? Yeah, I think um i can't imagine at this point there would be another there'd be any kind of call for something like sonosphere because it's just i mean who the fuck do you book to headline it who the fuck do you book that you know if download was like let's put it another way if download was six days long you couldn't have six you you couldn't you wouldn't be able to find six headliners that are that size at the moment um I think maybe download, like I said earlier, might have to reevaluate the size of its headliners in the next sort of five or six years, um, which then opens the door for other festivals to maybe, you know, expand. Um, in terms of what we were talking about with like Biffy and actual rock bands and stuff, 2000 Trees is not, a, you know, feels like quite a sort of significant home for those sort of bands. They've had a Shikari headlining. Um, a, a couple of years ago if they can carry on expanding in the same way as like bloodstock i mean if you go back to you know bloodstock being on an indoor venue to the point where they've booked like judas priest that is some significant growth and i think were 2000 trees able to do something fairly similar i'm not saying they could book foo fighters or green day but um i, I don't think it's out of the question that they might be able to get a band like biffy clyro or maybe even mused um later on in in so you know i think those sorts of festivals seem to be catering to something that download can't quite cater to mm-hmm. um and there is mainstream appeal in that so there is you know larger appeal in those bands than there is and bloodstock's only ever going to get to a certain size because how bigger you know how bigger fucking i don't know uh sabaton ever going to get they're not going to get as big as as biffy or blink or green bear in those bands so yeah i don't know i mean in terms of another festival coming in and rivaling it the same uh, in download it being the same size absolutely not just un- unthinkable i would say at the moment but i think you know if download start booking blackstone cherry alter bridge or um parkway drive as headliners those bands aren't and never will be as big as Metallica or Maiden. They just won't, but they may be left with no alternative. And that means I think there'll be a bit of a leveling out of the festival playing field at that point. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Andrew Sloan asks. What do you think? Huh? What do you think? Oh, I agree. I, I kind of said at the start, I don't think so. So Fair enough. I, I, can't see, I can't see another 80,000 capacity festival popping up. Um, and suddenly rivaling download because yeah like you said they're just going to book the same bands download would book you need something that feels different i think and so sonosphere sonosphere felt different in the kind of vibe of the festival felt different and the kind of look of it and feel of it felt different but essentially it was still booking the same bands yeah so when and and the thing is since sonosphere bit the dust no new bands have stepped up to reliable headliners there so you're just going to book the same bands. so it's not going to happen Mm. Download is still the Mac Daddy, is no doubt about it. 
Mm. Uh, Andrew Sloan says, my nephew is two and a half years old and has recently started getting into music. Oh, the likes of Beach Boys, Jackson 5 and the Beatles, Yellow Submarine have been particular winners so far. My wife and I are looking after him this weekend and I think it might be a good time to start getting him into metal. <laughs> what do you think would be an age-appropriate band, album or song that would get him down the path to excitedly looking forward to the next Imperial Triumphant album by the time he starts school? Thanks. <laughs> oh, that is a, that's quite a tough question. Um, what do kids like nowadays? I don't know. Something that would well, kids of... always like the same stuff, don't they? It's it's colourful, bleepy nonsense with repetitive uh, theme songs. So, Venge Sevenfold. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think City of Evil. I think like City of Evil's like it looks really colourful. It's kind of mental sounding, isn't it? Um, the Beast and the Harlot. You can yeah. go the Beast and the Harlot. Oh, and then the kid can run on the spot. Like I, I think anything kind of widdly and a bit fun and a bit silly. So Dragon Force, mate. The obvious one, surely, and I'm not just saying it because of the pun, is Baby Metal. Yeah, I guess so. Colourful, like silly. They are literally kid friendly in terms of their audience in Japan, especially um, catchy. Um, that would work a treat. Yeah, Dragon Force would work a treat. I think if you just want something really simple and bouncing and easy, like the last Ghost album, like Dance Macabre would, would work a treat. Just da 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 um, Or if you just want something like slow and simple, ACDC, mate. Not quite metal, but a bit of Back in Black. Baby's going to dig that, aren't they? Wow. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Or just do Wolves in the Throne Room. I don't care. <laughs> Can you imagine putting on walls in a throne room? Like you can get um, those, what are they called? Those things that you hang over a baby's crib. Yeah, they're called mobiles, I think. Mobile, yeah. And you can get ones that go in time with the music that you put on. <laughs> so you can put, put on, on. Like, on death. Yeah, <laughs> just flying around like a motherfucker. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah, napalm death. I'm going, so yeah, napalm death. I'm going to go with. <laughs> just you suffer over and over again. <laughs> Uh, you read the last question. Oh, well, the next question, Steve. I've tried. Uh, as someone who hasn't really listened to In Flames before, where should I begin? Says Sam Welch. There we go. Uh, I think you know, to totally contradict everything I've just said. I don't think Come Clarity would be the worst place to start, do you? No, I, uh, I, I agree. I think, uh, I think it kind of depends because In Flames have gone on such a journey. I mean, I wouldn't play anything from the last 10 years, put it that way, but... Um, the weird thing about Come Clarity is that it's definitely a good gateway album, but I don't think it really represents In Flames very well in some ways because it's such an oddity at the time. Like they just went and made a metalcore record. Do you know what I mean? Whereas at least Clayman is like, it's just as catchy, but you kind of get a better taste for where they'd come from. Do you know what I mean? And you could probably... I think the middle ground of that might be Ruritja Remain. Yeah, yeah, that's a brilliant shout. Being the one that uh, we got into them on, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if I was going to play someone, someone in Flames on to get into them, I'd definitely consider playing them something like Trigger or yeah. System. Yeah, it's really 
But then I guess, I mean, you know, Sam, it depends what sort of stuff you like. If you're someone who listens to death metal, then you might as well listen to horrorcore. Do you know what I mean? If you're someone who likes extreme music, then you might as well go in on those early records. I think if it, if, if, if it's this baby that we were talking about a minute ago, then yeah, we'll probably start in one reroute to remain. But if it's someone who's already kind of familiar with metal, then starting the baby on reroute to remain. I mean, if you're starting the baby, you probably would pick the later stuff. Starting them on system. What? I would. I'll tell you what, mate. I would fucking if if I saw somebody had a baby and they were like, I'm gonna get my baby into root to into um in flames, so I'm gonna play in battles. I would call the NSPCC straight away. <laughs> that is child abuse to play them that fucking piece of shit album. Oh, I'm gonna play my baby either mask right. Well, get social services around here now. That is terrible. That is terrible, terrible parenting. Yeah, that's that's definitely like the baby's definitely gonna take notice of that. <laughs> I don't think this is very representational of their best uh, best work, mother. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, Sam. Well, if you never listened to In Flames before, stay the fuck away from the last few albums. Start on Reroute to Remain and then just kind of go in either direction from there, which is quite nice. Mm. Uh, Noel Rattigan asks, Mechanics or The Four Horsemen? Basically it's, the same song recorded by Megadeth and Metallica, respectively. It's just even a question. I mean, what kind of question is that? Well, I think Four Horsemen. Well, it, yeah, who doesn't? Was well, it any living person other than Dave Mustaine who wouldn't pick the Four Horsemen? Probably. Quite a lot of people prefer Megadeth. Yeah, of course they do. Um, yeah, they, they, all, no, no, they all pretend they do. No one prefer. No one act. No one could actually sit down and listen to Four Horsemen and listen to Mechanics and go, no, that that one's better. Unless they were a fucking poser. Absolute. That that is like the that is absolute poserville. Oh no, I prefer mechanics. No, you fucking don't. No, you don't. You liar. So I'm trying to cool. There's some people. I bet there's some people that prefer mechanics. I bet there are. I I I, I maintain that they are saying that just because they don't want to say something nice about Metallica because they think it makes them seem more interesting. And I'm telling you that it doesn't. Yeah. Admit that Four Horsemen's better. Get on with your life. Not liking Metallica is not a personality, guys. Um, yeah. If there is anyone listening to this that genuinely likes mechanics more than the Four Horsemen, post on the old uh, Facebook page because we would like to hear from you. To yeah. Delete Fly, you. <laughs> to hear more. Uh, finally, Kevin Tobin asks: Do you think metal fans, in inverted covers, would be happier if there was no download at all? People only ever write negative posts. Yes, I think that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Be like that bit in The Simpsons when Lionel Hutt says, "Can you imagine a world without lawyers?" That's what that's what a world without download would be like for people <laughs> that moan about download. They'd all just be like, "Look how great this is! There's no festival." Hmm. Mate, uh, it's a funny one for sure. I don't think those people go though. No, probably not. I mean, I think that um, even though we spent a lot of time talking about people moaning about Biffy Clyro, it is important to remember that most people who are excited about something will just press a press their phone twice to like it on facebook or whatever like it's quite unusual that someone will see a download announcement and write wow this is amazing i'm really happy about this and oh this is awesome and i'm just really looking forward to it i've got nothing negative to say and this is great and then that in itself sparks a discussion which then pushes that thing up to the top of the thread like negativity always rises to the top on the internet it's one of the unfortunate things about the internet so we should probably remember that it is still a vocal minority. Um, 
it is completely all right if you don't want like download or don't want to go to download no one should be made to feel like their opinion you know isn't their opinion and it's totally fair enough but you can just not go you can yeah just go. I, I think it's a stuff like i mean i was on, on twitter and some guy was like how are biffy clyro headlining they're not as big as wheatus i mean just what? a quick google of yeah honestly and that's just short circuit in my brain though yeah i mean just a quick google of like the both those bands last uk tours i think biffy did two nights at the o2 which is 40,000 people and I think Wheatus did one night at the Islington Academy which is about 600 people yeah a quick thought of any point in either band's career since they both existed where Wheatus was bigger than Biffy Cairo well I would imagine back when Teenage Dirtbag came out and was like number two in the charts yeah but Biffy didn't barely existed then did they exactly they had probably one or one album out at that point but, I mean, going off that, like, oh, well, they've got a bigger song, so they're bigger. Well, then I, Crazy Town are bigger than Gajira, so... Yeah, I actually replied and said, Jason Donovan has got twice as many number one singles as Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, um, and ACDC in the UK put together. So if you had a six-day festival headlined by those six, or a six-day festival where Jason Donovan headlined every night, <laughs> do you think the Jason Donovan festival would sell more tickets? Probably not. Um, how, can, how can you possibly think we are so bigger than a Biffy Clyro? Because everyone's heard of Teenage Dirtbag. But most people have heard of Mountains. Like, I know, I know more people of a certain era have heard of Teenage Dirtbag, but it was massive. But it's not like... It's like, my mum's probably heard Mountains. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not like well, Biffy, a kind of... But the X Factor song, everyone's heard that. Like, oh, whatever. Um... Ruin my yeah, time funny, that was. Funny people. Ruin my time that was. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Man. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. I'm sure he'll be back soon. Uh, thanks everybody for listening as well. It's been a lovely old time. It was a long old podcast this week, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back next week with loads more of the good shit. Uh, in the meantime, stay safe out there and um, stop moaning. Just enjoy life. <laughs> no, never. Good. See you later, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.